Welcome, everybody, to the Fit for Duty podcast. Uh, that is a working title. Uh, I haven't figured out how to... Subject to change. Subject to change. <laughs> Everything is subject to change in our world. Uh, I have BB Pro Vaughn, a team. Myself, I'm Larry Brown. And if you've noticed, we have a very large uh, special guest <laughs> on our left side. Uh, Chris, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience here? For sure. Uh, my name is Chris Edmonds. I'm the lead coach for uh, MountainDogDiet.com. Which, if you aren't familiar with that, that's uh, I work for John Meadows, and I'm um, privileged to be here, man. Awesome, awesome. So me and Chris uh, go back. Obviously, Vaughn is the more experienced competitor uh, out of all of us, and we're all dealing with the COVID nineteen situation. And I know Vaughn alluded to it on his uh, on his Instagram story last night. So Vaughn, why don't you get into a little bit of uh, what's going on in New York, especially with last night? All right, so um, as you as you all know, New York is kind of ground zero for this thing right now. Um, we're seeing uh, infections, deaths, hospitalizations in tremendous numbers right now. Um, I'm a detective for the New York City Police Department. I work the graveyard shift overnights. Um, so basically, we have to respond to any deaths that occur within a household to do a preliminary investigation to make sure the death is not suspicious. And a lot of times that means we go to deaths when people are dying of COVID in their homes. Um, and recently, these last seven to 10 days, in a normal week, because I work on Staten Island, a small borough, not very populated, I would go to between th two and three of those calls in a week. Um, we're running four or five calls and just missing two or three other calls because the shifts are turning over for the day shifts from us. So, I mean, in a 12 hour, if you, to make it a 12 hour span, from 11 o'clock at night to about 11 o'clock in the morning, you're seeing anywhere here on Staten Island, the smallest borough, um, five, six people dying per night. In in Brooklyn and other more populous boroughs, they're doubling and tripling those numbers every night from COVID-related symptoms. So, you know, we are definitely in the thick of it right now. And um, hopefully they said this is the plateau or what, what do they call it, Hasty? We're at the apex. And I, I'm hoping that's the case and that declines from here, but it's all elderly people, people with pre-existing conditions, compromised immune system, health issues, immune compromised people. It's uh, just kind of running like wildfire through that subset of people right now. And it's funny. It's like you hold up New York to everywhere else in the nation, and it's a total uh, juxtaposition. I know here in Nebraska, they actually slashed the expected death rate of uh, people that are supposed to die in half. Mm -hmm. Chris, what are you seeing down there in Virginia? You know, it's really sad. Like, just as many people are out <laughs> and about. Like, we aren't on a true lockdown by any means, uh, but we are under, like, modified gatherings through June 10th in Virginia. Um, so, like, all the gyms are closed. And, you know, but they, they, they're shutting down, like, parkways and greenways for us to walk on. Because there's just so many people out. Like when I when I go to the grocery store, like there's still tons of people there. Do you guys see the same thing there where y'all are? At? Definitely here in uh, Nebraska, they they capped it. Um, it I think it's nationwide for Walmart. It's only uh, five people allowed for every thousand feet of the store. Uh, okay. And in Costco, for every membership card, only two people are allowed in. Uh, 
I know Vaughn alluded to it last week or talked about it last week, but just give us a what's going on down there as far as grocery stores and all that. Um, some grocery stores are going to a certain amount of people being allowed into the grocery store. Gyms are shut down. Sporting events are shut down. Large gatherings are shut down. Um, they're starting to enforce more social distancing in the parks. Um, they've shut down playgrounds. Um, anything that's considered non-essential right now in New York City is completely shut down. Times Square is a ghost town. Um, most most streets in most communities, for the for the large part, are completely devoid of people. So, I mean, the um, social distancing, the self-quarantining, the isolating, the stay-at-home um, tactic is being employed here. Uh, people six are in 65, 70% compliance here. So it makes New York look empty, but you know, some people don't get it and they, they're still, they're still out and about. Thank God that's you and far between, but you'll still see some people who, you know, for whatever reason, maybe they don't have a choice. Maybe they don't think this is as serious as it actually is, or maybe they just don't care. But for the, for the most part, it's, it's, um, people are listening and, uh, Streets are empty here. Gyms are closed <laughs> completely. There's no, there's no gyms. Precinct, yeah. precinct gyms closed down. Those were like kind of the last to close. A lot of guys who were cops, you know, they, each precinct had a gym in it. Not anymore. They cut all that out. You know, what's really interesting is I, I'm fortunate enough to work with a lot of international guys. Mm-hmm. And so I got to see like two or three weeks in advance. So essentially like tell me a future, what's going to happen in the U.S. Right. I and, you know, one of the guys who I work with, he, he's from Malta, and they get, like, Italian TV where right. he's at. Oh. And he was saying, like, it's, like, terrifying. They're going into people's homes and inspecting and taking people's fever. And he's like, man, you, you guys in the U.S., you better watch out because that's coming your way if you don't, if you don't take it serious. I'm yeah. A lot of states taking it serious, especially down in the south. Um, I think even here in Nebraska, a lot of people are complaining about the uh, – the way our governor is handling things. But Fauci went on the air and said he had a good conversation with uh, the governor here. And what we're doing is akin to a statewide lockdown. But here's the thing with New York, we're worst case scenario when it comes to a bunch of different factors, population density, um, population diversity. Um, for whatever reason, it's um, this COVID thing seems to be killing uh, the black and Latino population at twice the levels is um, it's killing the Caucasian and Asian population. So, and as you know, in New York City, we have a lot of blacks and Latinos here. So, I think that's why you're seeing things as bad in New York City. And those factors aren't prevalent a lot of places. Population density, the sheer numbers of minorities concentrated in a group in other places. So, I hope we are the worst that you will see. You know, and I just I, I hope that. We just kind of had the perfect storm of factor that this thing feeds off of. And the more you remove yourself from New York and places, metropolitan areas like New York, that you won't see it get as bad. So what works for New York in terms of trying to keep this thing in check won't work, for example, in Virginia. It won't work in Nebraska because you just don't have the factors we have here in New York. You have to take this as a case-by-case basis. You can't make it a national thing. You have to make it a state-by-state, almost county-by-county thing what what strategies you decide to employ to prevent stuff and to stop it once it does flare up so you know we're 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 all we're all systems go here trying everything we can but you may not have to do that in nebraska or virginia hopefully not you know 
Well, moving on to a lighter subject. Please do. Uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk a little bodybuilding. Chris, tell us how you got involved in the sport um, and how that, uh, how your involvement in the sport has evolved over the years as somebody who uh, fell in love with a Flex magazine and then now being the lead coach at Mountain Dog Diet. For sure. Um, my bodybuilding started because I didn't have anything to do anymore. <laughs> um, my football career was over, and I, I was like, what do I do with all this free time? I don't have to be at practice. I don't have to weight train. And what I quickly realized was that I actually enjoyed training and preparing for football way more than probably playing the games. So I, <laughs> I, I found a Flex magazine uh, walking through Kroger with my mom one day. And I started reading it and trying like some of the exercises and it was so different from what I'm used to in terms of the volume and the intensity. I was so used to being explosive, ripping box squats and hang cleans and things like that. Well, this was a total mix up for me and it was like destroying me and I loved it. Um, so that, that kind of led me into bodybuilding. Uh, I, I met a couple of dudes who were just fucking monsters uh, and they kind of took me under their wing. Because I was just a young, dumb kid who I, I would just train my balls off and I didn't know any different. And they were like, oh, he likes to be tortured. So Not they kind of showed me, <laughs> you know, how, how to train like a bodybuilder, uh, how to eat like a bodybuilder. And uh, when I graduated college, I, uh, I, I got into personal training because uh, it was just an opportunity of a new gym opened in my area. And I, I met the dude who was the lead trainer. And from there, it just kind of took off because I was in the gym all the time. And I was like, man, I, I just want to attack this. Um, and I love the sport. And I started studying it and learning about, you know, everyone who was in it. So that was from a time range. That was like mm, early 2000s. So, you know, the, the the men of the time were Ronnie and Jay. And I fell in love with that battle. Um, you know, to me, that's what bodybuilding is. Both those dudes trained differently, but very aggressively. They pounded food and they weren't apologetic about it at all. And I just loved it. So how that led me to Mountain Dog uh, in a roundabout way. I, my training partners at the time, I trained with an Ohio State uh, All-American wrestler and one of my buddies. Uh, and they both moved away. And I was kind of lost because we would just go in the gym. We had zero plan. We were Our goal was to just try to kill each other. And when they moved, I was lost. I was like, man, I'm in the gym by myself. Like, it's not the same. Um, and... I'd saw one of John's articles on uh, T Nation, and I was like, man, this is a really cool training philosophy. It's very different than what I'm used to. So I did it, and then I reached out to him, and he's like, man, like, this is really cool that you, you found me. And uh, he, he, this was before he was, like, really popular. He was still working at Chase, uh, the bank, and he wasn't taking on a ton of clients. So I was really fortunate to be able to get on with him as a client um, early on in his, in his coaching career. And then from there, like it kind of just led to him and I linking up and training together. Uh, the first time him and I ever worked out together, it was at elite, uh, FTS at, at the S4 compound with Dave Tate. And we slaughtered legs for three hours. And I think that was kind of a test to see, you know, if, if I could hang. And that was, I was 24 at the time and I, I knew he was going to destroy me. And I was like, I don't give a fuck, but he's not going to see it. <laughs> Um, he was like three weeks out for Master Nationals and just looked like an absolute freak show. Um, and then from there, man, like it was just one of those things. I'd worked at the, that corporate golds for so long. Uh, and I reached out to him one day. I was like, man, I'm, I'm so sick and tired of uh, showing up to this job that I hate every day. 
if you have anything open, let me know. And uh, he was like, yeah, I actually lost one of my coaches if you want to come on. So to make a long story short, I interned with him for like three or four weeks. And then after a couple of years of working for him, he promoted me to his lead coach. So I'm really, really fortunate, man. Great. Great. Nice. Vaughn, you want to take it away? Um, yeah, I actually have a couple of questions for Chris in, in terms yeah. of um, John's training and coaching philosophy, because I know um, one dude who um, was a client of John, um, okay. he's, a pro. he's also a former New York City police officer. His name is Casey Fati. Yep. And um, John tends to have a, a philosophy towards dieting that is famously known that not every diet fits every person. And he kind of does, does he show you how to hone into the individual, like how to study their body? What kind of changes do you guys look for before you make changes in a diet for someone, for example? And, as, and when you make that diet change, do you also make a corresponding training regimen train? change. Yeah. yeah. So when I started with him, I was really fortunate. I, I'd already built a, a decent career at prepping people. Um, and then I'd learned through like I, I, Shelby Starnes did my nutrition for a while. Matt Porter did my nutrition for a while. And I'd done training with John for, I think, eight years up into that point. <clears throat> um, so to kind of fast forward, when I started with him, I had very little experience with working with like monstrous IFBB pros. So what he did was I, I was fortunate. He would like blind cough me or he, we would sit down and talk about all the people he was working with. And at the time it was like Fuad, it was uh, Sean Clarita, it was Josh Wade. So I really got to learn firsthand and see that like process of how he handled nutrition. And to answer your question about the training, that's one of the things like for the most part, the base or our heavy days, um, I don't know how familiar you are with his programming, but for the most part, we will train the body part heavy. And then later in the week, we'll do a pump day for it. So that's more volume based. It's less nervous system taxing. It's uh, you're not going to do any intensity techniques like drop sets, ISO holds, partials and things like that. So for the most part, our training doesn't change as the prep goes on, not until the very end. So, you know, if you're two, two weeks out, we're not trying to like break records and and, and smash squats and, on PRs and things like that. But at the same time with nutrition changes, that's going to just go person to person. Like if you look at his philosophy, he's moderate protein, mm -hmm. uh, carb centric around your training sessions. And then he likes to keep a good, healthy dose of healthy fats in there for most people. Now he prepped me for my last show and my fats were rock bottom <laughs> because that's what it took to get in shape. Um, so, you know, it's again, it's like you said, it's every person is a very unique uh, diet plan and it's very customized to, you know, how many days you can train and recover from. And that's something else that's huge that we really go in. That, to me, that's what separates us. Like if you can only recover from four days of hard training, that's all we're going to do. But if you can do five, six or as many as seven sessions in a week why not do it if you're recovering from it? Um, and that's going to stem from what we call peri-workout nutrition, which is, you know, what you eat before, what you drink during, and then what you eat afterwards. Okay. One more thing. Um, yeah. As far as now, what you do for Fuad or for Sean or for any IFBB pro, um, how much do you have to modify that when it comes to just a regular lifestyle client and does john actually take on much lifestyle do you guys take on much 
lifestyle, non-competitive clients. And are those programs different from what you would give a hardcore competitive athlete? Without a doubt. <laughs> uh, hands down. For, for the most part, if you looked at our more general population clients, they're going to eat far less food <laughs> because they're not training hard enough to, and I, and I don't want to sound bad. We had definitely have normal po general population people who train their balls all, right. but it's not to the same level. It's not with the wow. same focus and intensity. And, you know, it's one of those things I would say that's the main thing is obviously if you're bigger, you're going to require more nutrients for the most part. Um, we have a few guys who can get away with eating less. Um, I mean, he's a prime example of that. I don't know if you guys see how he posts, like just what he's doing to maintain his size currently. Yeah. Yeah. He eats like two, two or three times a day. <laughs> and I've witnessed it in person. Like I've spent three or four days with him at a time. And like, literally he only eats two or three times a day. It's wild <laughs> and still trains hard as hell. Like, I mean, that, that's partially, I think it's gotta be genetics for him. Um, but to answer your question, the training for sure, um, it just in terms of how deep they can push intensity. I mean, what I could take my dad through, for example, would be very different than what I would take you through <laughs> on say a leg day or a back session or, you know, not necessarily, even if you just, if you scratch volume aside and say, we're only going to do 10 work sets, those 10 work sets that you can take your body to and Larry, you can take your body to is totally different than someone who's never got to experience what a true work set is, in my opinion. I think the intensity is what, uh, what a lot of people miss. They'll look at what's on paper and it doesn't sound like a lot. Ten sets doesn't it doesn't sound like a lot. But if you do the shit correctly, it's not fun. Oh, you should be dreading from from the second work set, you should be dreading the rest of the workout. Yeah, exactly. And like a lot of young guys come in and they just say, Oh, 10 sets and they breeze through it. I'm like, no, homie, that's the that's the warm-up. Right. <laughs> you haven't done anything yet. I remember uh, reading a Dave Tate article, speaking of Elite FTS, where he was, they, I think him and John were training either back or hamstrings. I think it was back. But he was like, before we even got to the work sets, we did eight sets of pull downs. And then we still had the work sets just to, we just need, we just did the eight sets to warm up and get really connected to the muscle. And then once the work set started, I wanted the workout to be over. And I think we only did about, he thinks he only did about 10, 12 work sets. Right. But I, they were a killer. Yep. So like and this is a question for both of you guys. Why is intensity missing in today's bodybuilding scene? All right. I'll, I'll give my, my opinion. Um, this is the age of social media. This is the age of instant information. And I think people get um, paralyzed by all this information that they take in. And so now. They're looking at all these different modes of training, all these different angles and all, all the different things that you have available to you. And they're leaving out the number one thing, which is intensity. You know, so I think a lot of people, hey, if I do this fancy thing from this fancy angle and use this special, this special, uh, uh, this special movement that I seen on that this guy do or whatever, that this is going to be the key to my success and the key to me getting gains. When, if you just break it down to the, what, five, 10 basic movements that you have, you could probably make a lot more progress with those if you, if you engage the, the mindset of a Dorian, of a Ronnie, or anyone really who just attacks whatever it is they're doing. You don't always have to count your reps. You know, your body will tell you when you're done. 
you know, if you're if you're shooting to go to failure and more times than not, I don't think people actually train themselves to failure as many times as they need to. I don't think people recognize what failure failure isn't when it's when it starts to burn or when you can barely move it. That's that's you're just you're just getting started there. You know, so I think it's a mentality thing. And I think is also a paralyzed by all the information social media and the Internet provides us. So I think, in my opinion, that's why people don't necessarily train as intensely as they could or should. Uh, you know, I'm going to piggyback off that because you nailed it, in my opinion. <laughs> um, as much as I love RPE charts, and, and Larry, you know, that comes with every one of our programs. It would do so much good to throw that shit away <laughs> and forget RPE. Right. Um, I almost think that we're trying to overthink this. And the, the way I look at it is when I got into bodybuilding, you had Charles Glass, right, who was training all the dudes out in Venice, and it was like angles and volume. And you had like Jay and Ronnie who were just trying to kill themselves. And then you had like Milo Sarchev who was doing this in crazy amount of giant sets, right, and just running GHs and insulin out the – incredibly high and making guys grow off the charts i always found myself leaning towards jay and ronnie and looking how milos took intensity to the next level I, as much as i can appreciate charles glass and his angles like if you look now so many people are like hey put a band on this and you know i, I, I like bands <laughs> but they have their place absolutely um being too fancy with training we forget to pick up barbells and dumbbells and just fucking work and as simple as that sounds, it, it, it's a mindset. When If you aren't focused on what you're going to do and had not been thinking about it all day, it's really hard to flip that switch once you walk into that facility to train. And if you don't have a training partner who's going to get inside your ass and push yeah. you on the days where you don't feel like getting after it, and we've all been there, Absolutely. long day at work, stressful, the wife might be getting after you. If you don't have that buddy to say, I don't give a fuck what's going on, we're going to train legs until you almost go up today. Because right. we got to get better because you got a show in 24 weeks or whatever. So to me, it's it's all about locking in, honing in. And I think to piggyback off of that social media thing, we're so used to just sitting there scrolling all day that, I mean, God, I see so many people in gyms just not focused. Yep. And if you can't lock in for 60 to 90 minutes, you're in the wrong sport. <laughs> and another thing, too, is that, and I'm not – any scientists out there, I'm not trying to diss or anything like that, but we've seen a large uh, proliferation of studies, and these studies have been misinterpreted. And what the a lot of these studies and a lot of these scientific minds do, in my opinion, keep in mind, I'm Joe Blow Schmuckatelli, uh, we've taken the hard work out of the science. We don't correlate the two to have people work really, really, really hard within set parameters that those studies present. Well, that leads me to my next question. Go ahead. Has scientific studies helped or hindered bodybuilding training? Bodybuilding training, I believe it's 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 helped it to an extent, but now you see where the help has plateaued and it's beginning to hinder it more and more. Because there are no bodybuilding studies. Well, we had a cyclist do three, do four, five sets of leg extensions over the course of six weeks while eating A, B, and C, and his legs got bigger. It's not a bodybuilding study. That's a, it, it's a hypertrophy study, yes, but it's not bodybuilding. You have to take bodybuilding for the art 
and science that it is and put it all together. And when you put it together, it's as different from me as it is to you as it is to Chris. See, that's the thing about bodybuilding. There's so many different factors that you kind of have to correlate. And if you do from a study, you're just going to get the conclusion of that one study for that particular thing that they did. And if and when it doesn't work for you, you're at fault because you didn't do the study right or whatever. So, you know, you, you need to study yourself and taking all this information and, and, and put it in a package that works for you. So if you're just going to go by study, something that you read on, on PubMed or whichever um, academic site, and you don't know how to apply it for you, or as a coach, you don't know how to find a way to apply it for your client, then studies are actually hindering bodybuilding more than they're helping. Without a doubt. I mean, I'm never going to sit down and, and believe, and this is going to sound awful, but I'm not going to believe a fucking pencil neck with a lab coat on who's training 10 soccer moms who hadn't eaten right in, in six years <laughs> about how it's going to grow muscle. Like, right. it makes me so angry. Like, I want to rage, right? Like, I know how to train. To eat, you know what goes into your mouth. You know what's went in your mouth for the last ten weeks, ten months, ten years. Right. These people who are getting the studies done on them, I don't know how meticulously they're tracking their meal plan. What are they doing with their supplements? What right. are they doing with sleep, rest, and recovery? Are they training right? Is their form correct? Are they pushing intensity? Like, I'm. I'm it's going to be really hard for me to draw a conclusion on a population that isn't me. Right. And. I will always go back to what has worked for bodybuilders for the last two, three, four decades. Clearly, <laughs> clearly worked. Right. right. I don't need a study to confirm that because it's played out for the last X amount of years of bodybuilding. <laughs> Success leaves clues. I mean, yes, I, they do. I'm not a fan of the bench press, but the bench press has created some phenomenal chess. I mean, I'm not even going to lie. James Holland's head is a big time bench presser over there in the UK. We've all seen Kevin LeBron's chess. Right. You know, it. the basics work. Um, so this is something fun that I literally just thought of. With Vaughn being a pro and you being um, a budding amateur, about to break into the national level, hopefully soon, no pressure. Um, <laughs> I, give me an example of what a back workout would look like for you guys and how you would uh, construct it? Because I believe there may, there are similarities, but there are big time differences in how you guys approach uh, your bodybuilding. So uh, Chris is going to go first by virtue of him being the guest. And then we're going to give it to the season pro. For sure. So back is an area that I struggled with and still struggle with. Like that's my worst body part uh, as a whole. So it took, it's taken a lot of tinkering to find what I believe is, is really working now. Um, and it's a mixture of John's principles and, and me applying that with the exercise selection that fits for me. And that sounds really fancy <laughs> and it's not meant to be, it's just the damn truth. Um, like I told you, I, when I, when I first found bodybuilding, it was Jay and Ronnie. So it was deadlifts, pull up, then over barbell rows, T-bar in a corner and a dumbbell city cable row. Is, and I got strong at that, but it wasn't yielding the results the rest of my body was doing uh, because I would feel my arms, my rear delts, mm -hmm. my upper back traps working like crazy, but not my lats. And, and I didn't have that like hanging meat that the rest of my body eventually developed. So now what, what I really have to do is a great job of starting it by activating my lats. So it's like a mixture of almost like posing 
and using a band to turn my lats on. And then I'll get into a, a rowing movement that is really friendly for me. I like that either like a machine hammer strength or a dumbbell or like the DY row works really, really well for me. And I'll start there, work up to a really hard set of like eight to 12. And I'll do a back down set from that. So if I'm doing the DY row and I'll build up to five plates aside, I'll strip down to three and just really crank back and squeeze and try to drive blood in that lat as much as humanly possible. And I'm always going to start with a single arm rowing movement because it forces me to isolate only half of my back. From there, I'll do some sort of stretch. So either a dumbbell pullover or a straight arm pull down, and then I'll get into a either a pull up variation or a pull down um, or even a rat chin like Dante uses for DC training. And then I'll go, I do a lot of volume typically for my back. So I'll do two other types of free weight rowing, whether it be with a dumbbell, uh, single arm or face down on an incline bench. Uh, and then from there, I'll do uh, another pull down motion. Uh, so if I did pull ups to start, I'll do pull downs and then I'll finish with uh, some seated cable rows with typically a mag grip um, for my rowing movements. And then I'll finish my back off with uh, either barbell or banded hyperextension for rack pulls. Yeah. Hey, so um, I have to, I, I've learned over time that because of my body structure, I have long arms i'm i'm five foot seven and i have the wingspan of a uh, six foot six foot one you're you're five. built fucking spider monkey right <laughs> exactly exactly like my arm my arms are, are crazy long so I've, I've i've come to realize that instead of worrying about the position of all of this which is the majority of the length of my arm i need to focus on pulling or rowing to where my back hey larry you disappeared you there i'm here Okay, so I have to really focus now on pulling in, 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 in a way that's consistent with me activating the lat and not over-activating it to the point where my arm escapes behind my back and I start activating rhomboids and redels and things that I don't want to train, especially for my lat development because I believe that was one of my weaknesses from my first years of pro lead into my second year and my back improved a ton between my first and my second year. That's the best my back has ever been um, when I competed in the Open in 2012. So what worked for me was volume, volume, modifying my range of motion and understanding that because my arms are super long, I'm not as strong a rower as I should be, but I know how to load it up and load the weight in, in a way and really concentrate on squeeze. So almost kind of Dorian style, not nearly as heavy, but definitely squeezing and driving blood into the lats and just watching my range of motion and pounding out the volume. You know, I mean, work sets, four, four or five work sets for some of my heavy movements and then stretching it at the end. So even if the stretch was as simple as just a hanging, just a, a, a hang, a dead man's hang or pullover, the last movement that I did had to be a nice stretch where I could drive some blood into, into the lats and just kind of set it up for recovery afterwards. And that worked a great deal for me. That's what I noticed started working the best for me when I started paying attention to really trying to make my back grow. So now we're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to keep the same format. We're going to compare philosophies. Mm -hmm. This time we're going to move to diet. Um, Vaughn, how would you describe your dietary approach to working with competitors? Okay. So one of the first things that I, that I did when I, um, 
started coaching people. I, I coach mostly life side clients, mostly first responders, mostly people uh -oh. who don't compete. You're there? Yeah, I'm here. Did I blink out? Do you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. There you okay. go. Your phone's up on me. It's that cat shirt you got on. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I just came back from, from, from doing a sanity walk with the wife, and I was going to change into a, a, a different shirt, but I kind of didn't have time, so... Cat shirt it is. <laughs> this is my this 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 my work shirt, you know. Hello <laughs> to my fraternity. There you go. Fraternity. <laughs> yeah, so man. Well, diet diet wise, like I said, because I do most I, I only have a couple of guys who compete. That's kind of all I want to take on because they're so labor intensive. And so, you know, not that lifestyle people are not labor intensive, it's just that you literally almost have to tweak things two, three times a week, depending on how a competitor's body is, is looking or shaping up. I mean, they could be, they could stress themselves out because of any given thing, cortisol levels shoot up, body just shrivel in two or three days, competitors. You know what I'm saying? I don't have that problem for a majority of my, of my lifestyle people, so I can manage them easier week to week. But because a lot of my lifestyle people are not nuanced in terms of diet and nutrition, I always have to start them off with being, and my thing is with the majority of them is, you don't eat enough. You don't eat anywhere near what you need to be eating for your height, gender, activity level, training level. Some of them may only train once or twice a week, but for the majority of people, they feel like, okay, I have to cut all these calories to start. No, like I've had people, I can't tell you how many times I've had people cut 10 pounds just by feeding, feeding them up. You know, and, 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 and manipulating their macros in a way where they, hey, listen, you don't need all this protein, but you need some more carbs. Hey, your fats are way too high. Hey, your fats are way too low, depending on what's going on with them as individuals. So my approach is a lot taken from a lot. I'll tell you the three guys I respect in terms of diet and the most in this industry, John being one of them. Jake, uh, Jason Theobald, Scooby, I've worked with him. He's coached me. Um, and uh, Lane Norton, you know, um, I, I kind of, my, my foundation, my underpinning for, for nutrition comes from, uh, I would say 50, 60% of those guys. And then of course, things that I study from other people, things that I have, I, I know happen to work from my experience using it or applying to clients. So, I mean, it's a combination of things, but mostly it's what works for that person the best. You can say X amount of calories should result in this amount of fat loss. It's not always the case for everyone. So, you know, it's, it's a mix, but mostly, like I said, John, Jason, and Lane. So, yeah, so for, for me and my clients, um, it kind of just depends. I, I definitely ag agree with Vaughn there. Like, I had to get most people to eat more than, they, than they're currently eating. <laughs> uh, nine times out of 10, especially female competitors just aren't eating enough. They're just trying to starve and stay lean year round. And if they want to make progress, they have to increase their food. Same thing for most guys. Most of the guys that we get come to us, they're stuck or they're just in a bad spot, either nutritionally or metabolically. And I'm like, okay, cool. We're going to start from ground zero and just start building your calories up. So ideally when you would start a prep, you aren't, you know, 500 calories above right. deficit. <laughs> right. So that's what we try. I try to build people's nutrition sky high. So when we start a prep or we start a focus of saying getting lean for summer that we aren't already at say 2000 calories, for example, I want to be 
well above that. Um, if you looked at my nutrition strategy as a whole, I'm going to say around that workout window, you're going to get tons of carbohydrates and tons of carbohydrates is completely person dependent. That might be 200, 300 for you guys. That may be a hundred for someone else. Right. Um, but for the most part, we're going to do a moderate amount of protein, you know, 40 to 60 grams uh, pre-lift as far as carbs, anywhere between 40 to a hundred and then fat somewhere around eight to 12 grams before training during your workouts, depending upon how voluminous your sessions are and how intensely you train, your carbs may range anywhere from 20 to 100. And then post-lift, it's going to be very similar. 50 to 60 grams of protein, anywhere between 60 to 100 grams of carbs. And then we tend to keep fat on the lower end below 5 to 10 grams uh, post-lift. But then the meals outside of that peri-workout window, uh, that just depends on what your goals are. So if you're trying to gain muscle, your protein and carbs are tendently going to be higher. If you're trying to literally burn fat, your fat is going to be a little higher than your carbohydrates would be. Let's shift back to actual training a bit. Um, I know, Chris, um, you've exhibited great condition, um, especially at your most recent show. Yeah. Uh, took the overall. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Vaughn, I've seen you up close uh, when you won the Dexter Jackson Classic. Uh, what is the big factor in achieving nasty, grainy uh, condition, the type of conditioning where it just makes competitors go, okay, I'm out? Um, my first year is because I was, I was cut off in terms of my weight class. And I didn't, I, I had a weight class to make. So I think People don't realize this. That was a primary thing for me, knowing that I'm capped out at a certain weight class. So all throughout the year, I couldn't let myself get too heavy. And so when I started dieting, I already started dieting probably from the leanest I've ever began a diet. And then I just went into it knowing, okay, I'm too, I'm almost too tall for the class at five foot seven. I look even taller on stage because I have long limbs and a short torso. So the only thing I'm going to have going for me, I'm not going to have uh, the muscle bellies and structure of a Brandon Ray, for example. But you know what? I was like, the diet is the only thing I can control. So I just kind of adopted the mindset of if it's going to take 1,500 calories for six to eight weeks, you know what? That's what it's going to take. And if it's going to take two hours of cardio, I, I, I remember talking to Thackeray, and I was like, if I have to die on the Stairmaster, I'll just die. It is what it is. You know, it's a, it's kind of a dysfunctional way of thinking, but this is within the confines of thinking as a bodybuilder. That's what separates, you know, people who are willing to get into shape. And then you know what? Once you're in shape, nope, eight more pounds. You know, so that's kind of the approach I took. And you know, you you end up not needing to do a lot of crazy things if you just have the mindset that you know what the suffering is part and parcel of it. You chose to do it, and you know be as competitive in terms of yourself. Like don't give in to the cravings. Don't, don't slip on the diet. Just, you know, just be disciplined and structured and have, it's, it's, it's a mindset that I, I, I can't explain. Maybe, maybe Chris is able, I mean, you're football guys, I know you're crazy competitive. I can't really explain right. it. It's almost insane. So what I always think about, <laughs> you know, that, that moment when you just ate a meal and you're sitting on the couch and you're like, fuck, I have two and a half hours and I'm starving. <laughs> yep. 
what I think about is I actually kind of get off on the fact, knowing that how miserable I am, that other people are going to fucking cave in or quit. (laughs) They're going to eat a little bit more food. They're going to skip a couple minutes of cardio. They're going to miss a few reps on those work sets. Like I think about that and it kind of gets me fired up. So the hungrier I am, the more miserable I feel the last, you know, six to eight weeks, the more I know that I'm getting closer where I need to be. Um, I, I think some of the attributing factors, Larry, of why people aren't in shape is one, they don't diet long enough. They, they try to do it too fast. Yeah. They try to over, over chemical or shortcut their way. And it's not going to work. I prefer a longer prep. Then like Vaughn, like you said, man, like when, when most people assume they're in shape, they need eight to 10 more pounds off. <laughs> so having someone with a trained diet that says, you're lean, you look good in the gym, but you aren't stage ready. Right. Um, that goes such a long way. And the only way, in my opinion, you ever understand how lean you have to be, you have to see somebody up close in person, or you've had to experience it yourself. And one of the things that helped me the most when John did uh, the North Carolina pro in Charlotte or the Charlotte pro in North Carolina, I was like a foot and a half from him. And that's the leanest I've ever seen a human in my entire life. <laughs> and that forever is burned into my brain. Like, that's what conditioning looks like. I've never gotten to that level that he was at, but that's what I fight for. So it's almost just like you have to have this relentless mindset of, it's like you said, it doesn't matter how long I have to be on a, on, on a treadmill. It doesn't matter how little I have to eat. Like it's, it's only in a short period of time and how far can I push my brain to survive this shit? Nice. I'm not there yet. So. Um, it's, it's, it's a dysfunction. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. Yeah, no, I, 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 like I have foods and I'm around that I'll just crack over. Even if I'm not hungry, I'll just crack over. And we're not talking. We're talking about just general every day. If I'm in competition prep, then I kind of surround myself with all things bodybuilding and almost become very one dimensional. But like when I'm not. When I'm not preparing for a show, um, Oreos, I'll just crack around. I find myself <laughs> snacking on almonds when I really shouldn't be snacking. It's like, Larry, you've had enough to eat. And that leads me to my next question. How important is the off-season for a competitive bodybuilder? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what makes or breaks you. It depends. Uh, now, if you're... If you're going for that off season, and a lot of guys, be surprised, a lot of guys don't have structured off season. They don't have off season for plans. You know, my first two years of, of, of competing, I didn't even plan an off season. I just couldn't wait to start eating a lot of food again, and that's what I did. Ate a lot of food, had a lot of energy, trained. Really didn't know if I was it's getting better or not until it was time for the diet, and then I started realizing you're wasting the most important period of time you have if you don't have a structured off season that is as planned out as meticulously worked as your diet if you wait to start working when the diet started yeah well you're gonna you're gonna wait for two call outs on stage you know so it's supremely important an off a structured off season competitor yeah i could not agree more you know even the guys who already have the right amount of muscle. So if you look at someone like, you know, Rami, I don't think anyone's going to argue. He, he has all the tissue he needs, right? But to me, even those guys who are either maxed out of their class or their height uh, and their weight, 
to me, the off season, you still have to build structure so it sets you up for a productive contest season. You know, if if you are just eating haphazardly and you aren't nailing meals, when it comes time to start that meal plan, it's going to be hard for you to lock in. And a lot of guys will lose two or three, four weeks of a contest prep because they're still fucking around. Absolutely. And if you're structured in the off season, now at the same time, like, you know, you can still probably go have a meal or two out with your wife. Of course. Not, not a big deal. But if you aren't nailing, say, 40 out of 42 meals in a week, right. it's going to be hard to lock in and say, man, I got to hit every single meal down to the gram for these next 12 to 16 weeks. That's why so many guys struggle at the beginning of a nutrition plan or they come in out of shape. <laughs> to right. go back to your previous question. Like you said, 40 out of 42 meals. That's all you have. That, that's, that's, a, that's a great amount of consistency in the off season, and plus yep. you need more calories anyway. So guess what? You just have to hit eight out of 10 meals in a week, but a lot of people can't even do that in an off season. Right. Agreed. Now, here's, um, here's another question that um, I have, and it re- is back to training. As you can see, I'm a big training nut. Um, tell me about how difficult, or if it is difficult, separating the bodybuilder from the general population training. When you're training a client that's in gen pop, how difficult is it for you to separate what you do yourself as a bodybuilder from what a general population client needs to do? You have to realize that bodybuilding, like I said, bodybuilding is a sweet dysfunction that we decide we want to engage in. And there's there's a there's a certain limit that bodybuilders go past on a regular basis that we take for granted that we don't realize that someone in the general population doesn't need to, you know, there's some people in the general population, believe it or not, they have no desire to look like us whatsoever. They want to be strong. They want to be able to do their jobs. They want to be able to feel good. They want to be able to look good in their clothes, but they don't want to look necessarily like we want to look. So, you know, and then sometimes you scratch your head. You're like, man, we need to get your arms bigger. And they're like, yeah, but I like to fit into shirts. <laughs> we, don't, we don't get that, you know? So like we have to, I'm not going to say it's a lowered expectation that we have to adopt. It's just a different mindset. You know, not everyone wants to, you know, spend more money altering their their suit pants, you know, because they have to buy a bigger size, you know, because they because they they needed popping quads. You know, we're, we're the only stickos who, who think like that. So the general population, you just have to realize they have different goals. They, they, they want to have good cardiovascular condition. They want to be able to play with their kids and look good at work, you know, look good with their shirt up at the beach, but they don't necessarily want the look that we want as bodybuilders. So you just kind of have to, you know, kind of cater your mindset towards that. You know, when I started training people in person, like that was one of my biggest things that I failed at was I thought if someone paid me to train them, they wanted to be slaughtered. (laughs) (laughs) And our front desk staff would joke me and be like, we have to have the paramedics on speed dial for Chris because he's made somebody pass out again. (laughs) <laughs> and i've been like hold on we only did like four sets of squats and some leg extensions this person's like lightheaded over in a corner like throwing up like <laughs> it didn't make sense to me but going back to that initial question of intensity is they had never really had someone apply intensity to them so when i started saying hey we're gonna hit that muscle and fully exhaust it it was really hard for me starting when i was young you know 23 24 years old to to back out of that mindset of saying hey you know they don't want what I want. They don't want what my buddies want. <laughs> they want to come in. They want to feel good. They want to look better when they take their clothes off in front of their spouse and not feel like their stomach hangs over their swimsuit when they go to the beach in the summer. 
My, my and, wife, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. No, go finish. Yeah. My, my wife, my wife's a trainer. She trains people here. Um, your New York Health and Racket Club, and a lot of she she trains people that are like elderly, like people who are they 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 work from home before all of this COVID started. Now everybody works from home, um, and they just want to come in there half of the time, honestly, to have someone to talk to. You know, uh, they 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 want to lift. They want to feel their muscles engaged. They want to feel they want to feel strong and strong for them means like, hey, I. I was able to do something that I don't normally do. So, you know, the, the, the mindset for, I would say 90% of her clients is completely different than the mindset that she has when she trains herself. You know, she's a bikini competitor. She, she has, to, she had to actually learn that as well. Like it's, it's not a step down, but it's a step away from what we're used to as competitors, people who have done athletics, people who train for bodybuilding. So it's, it's, it's a completely different world you have to realize you're stepping into. Good perspective. Good perspective, especially for someone like me who just started writing programs for many, uh, many other people. Um, I have to really learn how to back off on the volume. But that's a whole other conversation <laughs> in and of itself. I, I tend to go crazy on the volume a little bit. Chris, uh, <laughs> on to your sponsorships a little bit, man. Yes, sir. Yep. For sure. Um, I'm really fortunate uh, to work with, you know, three great companies, uh, Granite Supplements. As you see, that's John's Supplement Company. Uh, I tell everyone, like, I would use those products even if I didn't work for him, even if I wasn't um, getting benefits from it, <laughs> getting products. Uh, that's how good it is. I believe in all of his products. If you look at our lineup, it's very, very basic. It's um, a quality whey blend protein. It's uh, a joint care supplement. And then where, to me, the money's made is our recovery drink or what you drink during training. Um, so that's essential amino acids and highly brain cyclic dextrin. Like those, Love that, that is, oh, a thousand percent, man. Like I write that in everyone's program. And like I said, if, if I wasn't a part of Granite, I would still write it into people's programs and I would still take it personally. Um, I was fortunate enough to get in with John uh, back in his uh, bio test days when they were running plasma mm -hmm. and he hooked me on intra workout nutrition. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so Granite, great company, Iron Rebel. Um, you know, that's, an, again, another one of John's companies uh, that he works with uh, for clothing. They just fit great in terms of uh, training, and I can wear it to the mall with my wife. <laughs> um, and then as far as uh, the, the last one is Rice and Grinds. Anybody that follows John's stuff knows how popular he believes in cream of rice. And again, he turned me on to cream of rice. And uh, it's one of those supplements or products that, unlike oatmeal or your typical breakfast cereal that bloats a lot of people, causes like digestion issues, cream of rice tends to digest so much better, especially pre-lift or first thing in the morning for so many people. And then if you guys hadn't tried rice and grinds, like they just taste, taste like candy. Like if you have clients that struggle to get carbs in and carbs down in the off season, I mean, two scoops of that is like roughly 70 to 75 grams of carbs, and it tastes like candy, literal candy. <laughs> them. They have great, great tasting products, man. Correct. I, I'm very fortunate to be with all three of those companies. Yep. So, well, yeah, me, very simple. Um, so I'm from New York, obviously, East Coast. Uh, there's a guy out here named Muscle Chef, wrote some articles in uh, – must I believe Carlo was with? Um, I think he was with MD for a while. Yeah, Steve Blackman's. Uh, he wrote quite quite a few articles, uh, recipes, and stuff. Um, I remember he had a meal prep company that I used to use all the time. 
Um, and then that com- that company kind of fell by the wayside and now he has uh, chicken pound. So it's very it's a very simple concept. Grilled chicken, different flavors, delivered flash frozen, vacuum packed, delivered to your door in five, 10, 20 pound packages. And they have a, a plethora of, of flavors and they just came out with a Jamaican jerk seasoning flavor, which I've been suggesting to them on Instagram for the longest amount of time. And that, let me tell you something, to never have to cook quality or organic chicken, to not have to go to the market, get it, lug it home, season it, prep it, see, cook it hope, it, hope it comes out with the right consistency and flavor, like that's a game changer for a lot of people. I highly encourage my clients um, because a lot of them are busy. They, they work and listen, if you factor in the time and the money that you would spend getting the chicken, bringing it home, cooking it or, or whatever, it's actually cheaper to buy it from chicken pounds. So uh, look, look them up on Instagram, you know, at the chicken pound and you can judge for yourself based upon what you see. And if you try, try to order the five pound flavor, different a pound each of different flavors. And if you don't love it, I don't know. Something's wrong with you, man. This stuff is the best. That's, that's literally all I, all I eat when it comes to chicken now. I just had five pounds of that last week. It's delicious. Good, right? <laughs> yeah, the barbecue, the teriyaki, the cilantro lime, all three of those are delicious. Yeah. Excellent. Teriyaki, my cat. My cat Donald loves the teriyaki. <laughs> Your cat is going to be stronger than you one day. <laughs> Watch. Got to raise lives. I'm trying to be the next, uh, what's that guy, the tiger? The tiger guy? I'll tell you all the names. Oh. I'm, I'm not saying. Uh, I'm just going like to have like little cats, though. <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna do? I ought to, I to give you the boot from the show and find out. <laughs> I've never watched an episode. I just, I've just seen the memes on 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 Instagram. I've never watched an episode. The, me- the memes are hilarious. The actual yeah. show, I got an episode and a half in. Like I said, and I just, I, I just gave, I just looked at my wife and said, "Nope, I can't do it." I haven't yet. <laughs> don't, 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 don't. I, I saw a news article or an opinion piece. Um, that said that this is the first thing that black people are happily excluded from. <laughs> I, I could not agree more. But uh, uh, moving, move, moving on, because uh, we only got a few minutes left. Uh, balancing life and bodybuilding. How do you guys do it? I'll defer to Chris on this one. Okay, sure. That can be very hard for me pre-contest. I'm, I'm just going to be blatantly honest. Pre-contest, that's very challenging for me in the all-season. I'm way, way better at it. Um, I have two two sons and a wife. Um, and luckily, both my wife and I work from home year-round anyways. <laughs> so I get a lot of quality time with her. Um, but what I've found to work best for me is like I just have to simply turn work off. Or when I'm not in the gym, I can't be obsessing about it like I was in my younger years. Um, I tend to be very, very OCD as a person and, a, and I have a very addictive personality. So it's very easy for me to get like super tunnel vision. And that's why I said like I fail at that pre-contest like the last six to eight weeks. I always like I joke, but it's not really a joke that I just pray my wife's not going to leave me after the next contest prep. <laughs> because, because like that's all I can think about. It's all I can focus on that next meal, that next training session, next cardio, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very challenging pre-contest, but again, the all season, I always try to, you know, we try to take family vacations or after a certain time, we'll turn, I'll turn my phone off, uh, and not respond to emails until the boys go to bed. Um, because I, Larry, as you know, I'm a 
crazy workaholic for John. And I work seven days a week <laughs> because we have clients that need help. And to me, like if I'm not helping them get towards their goals and I'm failing them as a coach. So I have very little boundary when it comes to that. But as far as balance, you know, it's one of the things that to me, I'm always trying to get better. And as with time and with age, I, I feel like I'm getting better at it. What about you, Vaughn? Well, since I haven't competed in a long time, I can only try to reminisce on, on this particular act. But I mean, you 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 actively train, and you yeah. just started jujitsu, so right. like you're still passionate about it, right? Right. And and his 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 thing. My wife, who I believe is even more genetically gifted in terms of physique competitions than I am, she's been training in the gym since she's been 16. So we share a mutual love of training, and she just recently started competing a couple of years ago. She's she's done um. She's done a couple of shows now, and um, I'm trying to she, – she says she quit. I remember you said earlier, Chris, you love the process. When it, when it came to football, you love the process more than you love the games. That's the way she is. Like, she'll, she'll literally just do a diet and, like, get shredded and won't compete. Like, she loves the process more than she loves the stage. I think she also has a pro card in her. So I'm going to keep pushing her on, on that, you know, just, just gently. So it makes it a lot easier when the person you're with – kind of can share that lifestyle with you. Like we, we talk about macros and clients and training and we watch training videos together. She, she knows a, a lot about, a lot about bodybuilding. She's teaching me about the, the, the bikini side. Like I, I know who some of the girls are now where I, I honestly didn't pay attention to it before it was all bodybuilding all the time. So now I have, I have that going for me. And in terms of balance with work, when, all right, I have, I have, 18 and a half years as a, as a police officer. When I get off of work, like, I don't think about police work anymore. You know, I think about, I think about my wife, I think about my clients, and I think about jujitsu. And it's, it's, it's gotten easier the longer I've done it. And that's, that's the kind of what I tell to you, Chris, as long as you make sure you keep focusing on family and whatever, it, it takes a while, especially if you, if you're saying you're, you have that addictive personality. I know that. That's that's body. That's you're not going to be a good bodybuilder unless you have that mindset. Unless you have that personality. But the more you realize that when it's not time for bodybuilding, focus on family and being present, whatever. Which is what my wife is kind of teaching me now. Making sure I'm present in the moment when I'm not doing the things that I love. Be 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 present. Be there. Be mindful. Be thoughtful of other things. And little by little, you let your stubbornness go and that balance starts to become a little bit better over time. And I'm not as good as either of you, but that's a problem I very, very much have. And I'm trying to work through uh, being sensitive to uh, my wife's needs and understand I can't be Larry, Larry the meathead all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had to cut down my gym days to four, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. Very manageable. People got big as big as hell and strong as hell and won shows off of training just four days a week. Right. But working really, really, really hard within that four days. So that's something that uh, I, 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 I struggle with. It's not even a kind of I do struggle with it because uh, naturally I'm a I'm a selfish person. I grew up kind of an only child, even though I had an older brother and sister. So like Vaughn says, I'm working on being mindful for that uh mindful for the time that I'm with her like when I get done here we're gonna I'm cooking dinner we're gonna look at Chicago PD so 
best show on television, by the way. Um, Blue Bloods, anyway, go ahead. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> Your bias is showing, but that's all right. Uh, um, but it's just being mindful in there. Um, so we're at the hour mark right now, which is a pretty good time that we've decided to pretty good, decent amount of time yeah. for podcast. But I got one more question for each of you, and I want you to think of it real fast. Sure. COVID comes down again. We have to quarantine. Gyms get closed, unfortunately. Build your ideal home gym. Squat, squat, squat rack, bench, some pull-up stuff. Of, of course, a couple uh, dumbbells. I don't need it to get heavier than kettlebells. Big time. My wife just my my wife to listen to the professional trainer. Kettlebells. You can do a lot bodybuilding wise and strength and power wise with a good kettlebell set. So just a, a basic rack, um, something to squat in. Um, I'm not a big fan of putting the bar on my back, externally rotating my shoulders behind me. So I need the um, either transformer bar or I'll need a, what do you call the bar? Safety bar. Um, safety bar. Yeah. One of those two. And I think that'll be, that'll be enough for me. Everything else I can improvise. So power rack, dumbbells, probably 20 to 120, um, leg curl, leg extension, and a couple back pieces by either Arsenal or Hammer Strength or Prime. That's what I'd go with. Super basic, but yeah. I'm disappointed in both of y'all. Y'all didn't go heavy enough on the dumbbells. I was expecting <laughs> 150. You monsters, y'all going to 120. What's wrong with you? I'd expect that from an old man like John, but not from two young guns. So disappointing. Bro, I'm going to be 45 at the end of the year, bro. These joints are not what they used to be. And like I said, I'm in the NYPD, so there's only but so much I can do for these joints. So, Well, maybe you should take Granite's joint supplement, should you? <laughs> yeah, you can use my discount code. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much for joining us. We had some technical difficulties, but I think I found a way to uh, get guests on here, and that's because of my food bar that you, grad that you tested out, so I appreciate it. Uh, thank you again for coming on. Vaughn, it's always a pleasure talking with you uh, damn near every day now. So, <laughs> so you enjoy your off night. Be safe on those streets. Uh, be safe to both of you. So for Chris Edmonds, Vaughn Atene, I'm Larry Brown sitting here in darkness, and my wife is going to kill me if I don't go help with this baby. Fit for Duty podcast. Thanks again for listening. Catch us on iTunes and YouTube, and we'll see you next time. All right, guys.